Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Aim, at least on paper, the first female self-made billionaire in the history of the United States. But something you may not know about Martha Stewart is that before she became a world-renowned chef and homemaker, she was a stockbroker. Beginning in the 60s, she spent seven years trading for a Wall Street firm. But when the market hit a recession in the early 70s, she decided to call it quits and start a catering business. Now, this bit of Wall Street experience on her resume makes what happened in December of 2001 all the more scandalous. Stewart had invested her vast fortune in many places, including in a biopharmaceutical company called I'm Clone Systems, a company that developed cancer-fighting drugs. And just a few days before the company publicly announced that the FDA had denied approval of its newest drug, Stewart sold her shares for nearly a quarter of a million dollars. A few days later, after the announcement, the stock plummeted. The shares that Stewart had sold would have been worth about $40,000. You probably remember the rest of the story. After a few years of litigation, she was convicted of insider trading. She had illegally used inside information about the FDA process to avoid taking a big financial loss. As a result, she was fined and sentenced to five months in prison, which she served at the Alderson Federal Prison in West Virginia, where her fellow inmates gave her a nickname. And I'm not kidding about this. Her nickname was M. Diddy. Our story from Scripture this morning also begins in a prison. Not in West Virginia, but rather in Jerusalem. And the inmate was not a TV chef, but a prophet. Now, I'll forgive you if this morning's reading from Jeremiah didn't grab your attention at first blush. It is, after all, a passage that describes in painstaking detail the sale of a farm in a suburb of Jerusalem more than 2,500 years ago. But I promise that when we put this story in context, it's every bit as interesting as the tale of Martha Stewart. The story begins with a timestamp. It's the 10th year of Judah's king Zedekiah, which was the 18th year of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So now everyone's up to speed, right? You all know what year it is. 587 BCE. And the significance of that date is that it's the year before Jerusalem is finally conquered by the Babylonians. Their army is at the gates, and the writing is on the wall. The Israelites are going down. And where is Jeremiah? In prison. Put there by his own king, Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Judah being the southern kingdom of Israel that contains Jerusalem within it. And you may wonder, why is Jeremiah in prison? Well, basically because Zedekiah didn't know what to do with him. You see, Zedekiah really believed that Jeremiah was a prophet, a human through whom God was speaking. 
But Zedekiah didn't like what Jeremiah was telling him. Let me give you an example. Earlier in Jeremiah's story, God wants to convey just how angry God is with the disobedience of the Israelites. And so God tells Jeremiah to go buy a clay jar, to take it into the middle of Jerusalem where everyone can see, to smash the clay jar on the ground and then say to everyone, just as I have smashed this jar beyond repair, so God will smash all of you in this entire city because of your disobedience. Yikes, right? You can imagine that that kind of outburst didn't exactly win Jeremiah a lot of friends. So he ends up in prison with the king desperately hoping that God will send Jeremiah a new message, a message that God will save the Israelites after all and vanquish the Babylonians once and for all. And in our passage this morning, God does give Jeremiah a new message of hope for the future, but it's not exactly the message that Zedekiah was hoping for. It's not a promise of complete and instant salvation, but rather a promise that required slow and patient faithfulness. Now we come to the meat of the story. God tells Jeremiah that his cousin is about to visit him in prison and offer him a chance to buy the family farm. You see, in those days in Israel, when you wanted to sell a piece of real estate, of property, you didn't use a realtor. You didn't set an asking price and list it on Zillow and accept bids. A code of Jewish law commonly referred to as Jubilee law dictated that you would offer the property to your next of kin at a set price. And this was a way of keeping property in the same family, a way of making sure that some families didn't take up all the good property while other families were destitute. It was a law to prevent wealth inequality, basically. So Jeremiah had a legal right to buy the land, but the question is, why would he? Jeremiah himself had been the one saying that God was planning to smash Judah and hand it over to the Babylonians. And at that point, this land would essentially be worthless. But God tells Jeremiah, buy it. And not only does Jeremiah agree to buy the farm, he makes sure that every T is crossed and every I is dotted on that deed. All the details of Jeremiah signing the deeds and having them witnessed and weighing out the silver on the scales and putting it in a clay jar and so on, those details may be kind of boring to us. We may gloss over them today, but they serve a purpose in the story. Jeremiah isn't buying the farm because he has a legal right to it or even because he has a family obligation. He's doing it to make a public declaration, a statement of faith in God's promise to return the Israelites to this land after their exile. God makes that promise to the Israelites Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Listen to how that promise is elaborated on at the end of the same chapter. It says, this is God's message. I will certainly bring this huge catastrophe on this people, but I will also usher in a wonderful life of prosperity. I promise. 
fields are going to be bought again here. Yes, in this very country that you assume is going to end up desolate, gone to the dogs, unlivable, wrecked by the Babylonians. Yes, people will buy farms again and legally with deeds of purchase, sealed documents, proper witnesses in and around the area of Jerusalem and Judah, I will restore everything that was lost. The story of Martha Stewart is sort of a foil for Jeremiah's. There are some fascinating parallels between their stories that set up a sharp contrast. A contrast from which we can learn something about faithful investment strategy. Let's look at the parallels first. To to start with, they both had inside information. Martha knew that the cancer drug was going to be denied by the FDA. Jeremiah knew that even though the Babylonians would conquer Jerusalem, he knew that God would return them to their land. And so both Jeremiah and Martha Stewart committed insider trading. That is, they both executed a financial transaction based on their inside information. Martha sold her shares in the stock. Jeremiah bought the farm. Finally, neither one of them directly benefited from their insider trading. Martha not only paid fines and served jail time, but you could argue that she also lost out on future profits. That cancer drug ended up being approved by the FDA in 2004, and the company's stock rose to an all-time high. If she would have held on to her shares, they would have been worth about $350,000. In Jeremiah's case, The Israelites were under Babylonian rule for the next 50 to 70 years. And for all sorts of reasons, we can assume that he never lived to see the fruition of God's promise in his lifetime, of the Israelites returning to Judah. Now, despite some of these strange parallels between Martha Stewart and Jeremiah's insider trading, there's ultimately one big difference between them. While Martha's insider trading was short-sighted, fear-induced, and self-serving, Jeremiah's was prophetic, faith-based, and for the good of the whole. And so here's the lesson for us. We can do divine insider trading if we follow Jeremiah's investment advice instead of Martha's. First, We need to take the long view on our investments. We can't always expect immediate returns on God's promises, but we make investments that build towards the promises of God that we may not see realized in our lifetime. Second, our investments need to be grounded in our faith. Instead of allowing greed or fear to drive our decisions about how to invest our time, our energy, and our money, We need to have our faith in God's promises and our belief in the power of God's love be the primary drivers of our investment strategy. Finally, we need to think beyond ourselves. When we make an investment, we need to think about more than how will this benefit me. 
we need to ask, how will this benefit my neighbors? And how will it help bring God's promises into the world? It all begins with our trust in God's promises and a genuine hope for a future in which God's promises have been realized. So where are we called to have that kind of hope today? How are we called to be inside traders for God's future? I'd say there are plenty of good places to be inside traders for God, but this morning, I want to be your broker. I want to try and sell you on an investment that's worth your consideration. Now, I'll admit that on its face, this investment opportunity has been on a downward trend as of late. In fact, at the moment, it looks about as appealing as buying a farm in the suburb of Jerusalem just before it's sacked by the Babylonians. But because I have some inside intel, I'm bullish on this one. Trust me, it's a better investment than it seems. So, what is it? This investment opportunity. The church. Now, some so-called experts have slapped a sell rating on the church in recent years. They cite the fact that we're closing something like 10,000 churches a year in this country with no signs of bouncing back anytime soon. So why invest? Well, because God has promised to reconcile the world through Christ. And because Scripture tells us that God has entrusted us, the church, with spreading a message of reconciliation in the world. A world that needs reconciliation now more than ever. Now, I'll caution you that the returns on this investment likely won't be immediate. Reconciliation doesn't happen overnight. But because we trust in God's promise, let's make this investment. So will you double down on your investment in the church, in this church, as a force for God's reconciling work in the world? I invite you to take some time this week to consider your investment in the church. Let's be divine inside traders. Let's invest our time, our money, and all of ourselves in something that others may deem a risky or even unwise investment. Invest because we trust. Because of our faith in God's promises, we trust that it's the surest investment we'll ever make. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.